We're so glad you've joined us. Right now, it's Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. We are talking about our identity and our purpose this week, and we're looking at the Bible to find the answers to that question, who are you and why are you here? And Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And other translations where the word handiwork is used here, other translations say, creation. You are God's creation or you are God's masterpiece. And yesterday, Robin texted in in regards to a conversation we were having. And this is a a direct quote from Robin, one of our listeners. She said, we are a masterpiece, a beautiful painting on display for all who pass by to view. When the world sees us, studies the details of us, a work of art, a beautiful work of art, do they see the heart of the artist? And I thought, oh my goodness, that is so good, right? We want people to to just see the way that we do our everyday, ordinary, nothing, you know, to look at here life and see Jesus in the choices that we make and, and the way that we handle ourselves in conversations and everything that we do. Right, yeah. You you want him, Jesus to be seen, not, not us. Yeah, and this whole conversation about like, us being a work of art for other people to see as they view us made me um, think of this artist that Dan used to watch when we lived in Iowa. It was like on PBS or whatever. Oh, yes. Have you seen um, Bob Ross? Bob Ross, yes. With the the dark curly hair. I'm going to paint a happy little tree over here. Yes, there you go. You have watched Bob Ross. Okay, so he would start, if you've never seen it before, this was a television show where this artist, this painter would start with just a, completely plain canvas and you could watch him create this amazing masterpiece. But here's the thing. He would get started like the first dip in the paint and, you know, the first kind of brush uh, stroke of the brush. And you'd wonder, Oh, what's he doing? You know, and you can't quite make it out and you'd, you'd be curious about what's going to happen. But as he painted, you'd start to see, Oh, oh my goodness, it's a waterfall. Or, oh, I think he's making a meadow or a sunset. And and you'd start to capture um, what he was thinking was going to happen on the canvas. And then for me, I don't know about you, but my imagination would get involved in what he was doing and I would start to anticipate. And in my mind, I already had an idea of how it should go. Right. And what should be next and what color he should use and shouldn't use. And it was about that time that I'd start to get really excited and involved in the process, mind you. I'm sitting on my couch and I'm watching a TV show, right? So like it just <laughs> kind of pulls you right in. Right. But yeah. it was right about this time that he would, you know, they'd zoom in on the brush dipping onto the palette, on the paint palette, palette mm-hmm. right? And he would go for the black. And you're like, no. And he would dip it in the black and he would make this, you know, stroke ac- across the canvas. And you felt like he was just ruining everything. And you know, just with this big smudge, but he was doing something. He'd put it like right across, let's say it was a picture of a, you know, of a sun sunrise. And he'd put this black smudge across the center of it. And you're thinking he just ruined the whole thing. But it actually, as you kept watching, Mm -hmm. he would make it so beautiful. That black mark would actually make the painting so much more beautiful. It would give it depth. All of a sudden, you know, it kind of came alive when he, finessed it, if you will, right, and yeah. turned it into what he had originally created it to be. And I don't know 
let's just take this analogy, right, of the artist and this back to the scripture about Ephesians 2.10 and us being God's masterpiece. And then Robin's comment about, you know, people seeing us and, and seeing God, seeing the artist in our lives, which is the work of art. I don't know what black marks have been made on your canvas, but I do know that the mm. artist is still working. He's not done and you're God's masterpiece and he's creating something beautiful out of your life. And right now, maybe he just dipped it into the black and just, or maybe it's for someone that you love, you know, and you're like, I, ah, it just got ruined. You know, what's going on there? God is still working. He's doing something that is so far going to exceed your expectations. I believe this with all of my heart. I've seen it happen in my own life too many times not to pass this goodness on to you. And when we tell stories of what God has done, it's like scattering seeds of hope out there. And so I'm just asking you this morning, if you've got a seed, if you've had a season in life where it felt like God just like dipped into the black and just, you know, like now it's ruined, but you watched him, you watched the artist take something ugly and turn it into something beautiful. I got to believe someone needs to hear that story this morning and be encouraged by you. Will you share with us today? 800-968-8930. Testify of the goodness of God. We all have, you know, this desire for purpose and identity, and we've been talking about that all this week. And sometimes our motivations to dig deeper into that happens when we have maybe a near-death experience. I actually had one of those when I was quite young. I wouldn't have referred to it as a near-death experience, but looking back, it was uh, worse than I, I thought it was at the time. Yeah, I was about five or six years old, somewhere in that range. Uh, my brother and I have been going fishing with my grandfather. This was a tradition that we had every Saturday. My grandfather would come over, drive over from Elgin to Algonquin where we lived and pick us up. And we would usually go fishing. Most times it was at a dam uh, in South Elgin that we would go fishing at. But uh, this particular time, he decided to take a little further trip down to St. Charles to fish along the Fox River there. And uh, we, we were cool with that. That's fine. New place. That's, we're okay with that. But again, quite young. And to show you how young I was, I just had this bamboo kid-sized pole. I, didn't, I hadn't learned to cast a reel yet or mm-hmm. anything like that. So, so anyway, my grandfather got, got my hook all baited because, you know, I, didn't, I was still a little timid about handling worms. And, of course, probably shouldn't let a five-year-old try to bait a hook anyway. Yeah, good probably. call, Gramps. So he did that, and I went over to the shoreline to put, put my line into the water. Now, you know, of course, I need to just kind of give a little bit of a, uh, what I want to say, I want to say shove, but you get to get that line moving. Mm-hmm. So that goes out a little bit. You can't really cast it. So, but I noticed that because there were some larger rocks along the shoreline, I wasn't going to get much out beyond those rocks. So I wanted to get out a little bit farther. So I thought it would be a good idea to stand on top of one of these rocks. It was a big rock. I thought I could deal with it. So, uh, and my grandfather, I don't think was paying close attention because he was trying to bait my brother's hook. So I got on the rock, started to, you know, put my line out and lost my balance. Oh no. Fell, fell right into the water. And of course I didn't know how to swim at the time. My 
parents hadn't enrolled me in swimming lessons at that point. They did afterwards. Yeah, I bet <laughs> but, they did. But uh, so I'm flailing around in the water. My grandfather hears what happens. Of course, he immediately rushes out and jumps in the water after me, which, I mean, by rights, he probably shouldn't have because he couldn't swim either. And he had some other physical issues that, that he, was just, he was not a swimmer. Yeah, he just he, wasn't. Oh, man. But I latched onto him, grabbed a hold of him by the neck, and I my feet wrapped around his chest. So... Uh, he was having difficulty because the way I was wrapped around him. And you can't swim by can't yourself. Swim. You can't swim with somebody yeah. attached to you. So, you know, as I was told, we were going down for the third time, which is usually not the good thing. You're going down for the third time. And uh, there was a man along the shoreline who saw our plight and jumped in after us and pulled us both back in. And he had just gotten out of the hospital himself. He had, did, oh, I think he'd had, in the, had a surgery for an appendectomy. So. Yeah. Uh, he had jumped in, pulled us back out, and, you know, we were taken to the hospital to be checked out. But, you know, we were all okay. But obviously it did give me quite a bit of a scare, and there were no fish to be caught that day other than me. Right. <laughs> so, so anyway. It was a good catch. Yeah, it was, so anyway, you know, as, as the years went by, I began to reflect on that day. As a as five-year-old, you're not thinking, oh, near-death experience, I need to get my life in order. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're just not thinking that. Right. But as I got older, I began to think, you know, I could have died that day. I really could have. So if I didn't die, God allowed me to live. Is there something special that I was saved for? Um, you know, maybe some grand purpose. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I began to think, how how should I be investing my life then as I'm looking forward to this? I can't say that I was a real responsible kid all the time because I was a kid. So, but I did know I had musical talent. So I thought maybe, maybe I should be pouring into that and, you know, I'm, I had some people that thought I should be a, like become a church musician. I have remember being in a youth choir and, and the director of that thought that hey, you'd be a fine director for a church choir. And, and another person thought I'd be a, a, could be a professional trumpet player. Cause I played the trumpet pretty well in high school. And he wanted me to go to a certain college study under a, a certain professional trumpet player. And I thought mm. I could go far with that. There were others that thought, no, no, you need you need to maybe become a singer. You've got a good voice uh, and get professionally trained that way. So actually, I never took voice lessons until I was in college, which was kind of weird. I had this kind of double life. In high school, I was known for trumpet playing. Nobody knew I could sing. In church, everybody knew I could sing, but very few people heard me play my trumpet. So it was, oh, wow. it was I lived like a kind of weird double life thing going on. But anyway, uh also, this radio thing came in, and I kind of like doing that. Now, early on, while I loved doing it, there most people I was around didn't think I had a natural talent for it. <laughs> yeah, you can push buttons, but your voice isn't so hot on the air, basically. And I hadn't heard myself. So That's so funny because you're like Scott Curtis with the iconic radio voice. Lots of practice. Lots, lots of, practice. of practice. All right. I'll keep at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so. Uh, I mean, my parents were kind of taken aback when I told them I was wanting to make that my career choice. And they go, okay, fine, but don't give up on that church thing, you know, (laughs) that church music director thing. So anyway, you know, obviously, long story short, God kept guiding my path along the way so that I wound up staying in radio. And, you know, obviously, here I am today doing what I am doing, even though there were some maybe different plans I might have had along the way, uh, you know, as... God has closed certain doors and opened others. You know, he's, he has me where I am right now. So could I say this is a grand purpose? 
I don't know. I, mm-hmm. But I think most of us need to realize there's going to be very few people that are going to be noticed that at the top that are going to be receive the accolades here. Uh, we might be like more like the person who led D.L. Moody to right. Christ. You might be the person that, that leads the next Billy Graham to Christ. You don't know who you're influencing because that does pay dividends down the line. I remember one uh, simple demonstration that was done at a consequence of just, you know, touching the shoulder of the person next to you and then that person touching the next shoulder mm-hmm. and the next and the next and the next. And they say it started with you. Yeah. And it shows right. you how that influence spreads. So, okay, maybe the path you know, that I've taken hasn't taken me places I thought I could go. And maybe it's not taking you where you thought you should be going, but knowing that God has placed you where you are for a purpose, he's having you touch lives and you don't know how it's going to play out down the road. Uh, Certainly you're impacting your family. You're impacting the people you work with. So don't be discouraged where you're at because you don't, you haven't seen the end of the story just yet. Well, if you have ever wondered who you are and why you're here, you're not alone. Those are big questions. I think they kind of sit over all of us, right? Yeah, especially first thing in the morning. Who am I? Why am I here? Who am I? Why am I here? I woke up this morning. Oh, my goodness. I have such a deep sleep asking these same questions. But I think there are a lot of people in the world who are ready to answer those questions for us. Our culture is always telling us who we are. They're saying things like, you're too old or you're too young, or you're not smart enough, or you're not thin enough, or you're not important enough, or you're too needy, or you're fill in the blank. And it can be really confusing. And part of this is just a marketing ploy. Marketing has to create dissatisfaction in you, or you won't buy their product. Yeah, or or they'll try to invest for you. You need this because you're worth it. Well, there you go. I mean, that's the flip side, yeah, right, of the right. not enough of, you know, yeah. you are so much. You that are you entitled this. to this. Yes. Right. You're entitled. Oh, that's <laughs> a scary thing. But it's true. And the problem with the world answering the question of who I, who am I and why am I here is that they're giving us the wrong answers. At the very least, even if there's any kind of accuracy in what's being said, it's it falls short. It's not the full truth of who we are. And if we want to know the whole truth, we need to look to the one who created us because it may be true that we are, you know, seasoned in years, or it may be true that we're too young to do things that we would like to do, but it's not all of who we are. And so we look to scripture to take our cues for who we are. And the Bible is full of statements that God says about you why you're here, who you are, what you're created to do. It's God's love letter to us, and it's the truth, and it's the whole truth mm-hmm. about who we are. So Second Timothy one nine says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Mm. Wow, a grace given us to live a holy life. A grace given us. So beautiful. So we are, what this verse says about our identity is, number one, we're saved. And number two, we're called to holiness, called to a holy life. Mm. I think there's a lot of confusion around being called to a holy life and what that means. And there, I mean, certain people say, well, that means I've got to dress a certain way. There's certain things I've got to abstain from. There are certain things I have to do. Elements of truth in all of that, but we as human beings tend to take that way in a wrong direction. Yeah. And sometimes I think it causes us to isolate ourselves from others. Mm-hmm. 
rather than be in community with other people. You know, the I'm called to live holy. I'm called to be different. I'm going to remove myself from temptations of the world. Say that again. I'm going to remove myself from the temptations of the world. Well, good luck with that. I don't know how that happens. (laughs) Even in isolation, they don't go away. Right. You're still there. (laughs) In the midst of your isolation, there you are. But yeah, I think, you know, that they can, this call of holiness can cause us to kind of look on other people in a judgmental way. And that's not what is meant by this call of holiness. In fact, if you take a broader view of the scripture, this second Timothy one nine, which I encourage you to always do, you know, we, we can oftentimes just pull a verse and hone in on it and it came from somewhere. There's more to learn. Verse seven says for the spirit that God gave us does not make us timid, but gives, he gave us a spirit of power and love and self-discipline. So living holy means we have the Holy Spirit in us, instructing us and guiding our lives and influencing our decisions and empowering us to be bold, self-disciplined, and to be loving, mm. to be loving. That's that's part of the call of holiness is to love like in a way that doesn't make sense in an right. earthly manner, right? Right. Again, you know, it's love that doesn't expect anything in return, the agape love that's talked about in Scripture. Of course, it doesn't come naturally to us. Bob Goff is known. He's written several books. Uh, Love Does is one of his books, but lots of books about just being loved to the world around us. And he says most people need love and acceptance a lot more than they need our advice. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of truth there. I think there is a lot of truth there. And so part of this call of holiness is loving people in a divine way, in a way that is unnatural. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.